I would like to pray for you, and uh, we'll go from there. Jesus, you, you are so good. Lord, we know that your original design of this world didn't include cancer, it didn't include shootings, it didn't include all of the other filth that has come along with our sin. But God, you continue to pursue us, you continue to, to draw us near to you. You give us your Holy Spirit, you gave us Jesus. Uh, God, we, we thank you that you're always coming after us. Lord, I thank you for the, the gift of your Holy Spirit. I ask that, that he would be ministering to everybody's heart in the room here, that, um, that you would do the translating work of, of translating Terry's words into 150 different hearts in the room. We know that all of us didn't have the same week coming in. You are the only one who truly knows the current state of our heart. And so I ask that you would let Terry's words pierce to the corners of our hearts that need to be pierced that you would let his words encourage those who need encouragement, but ultimately that we would love uh, in, a, in a deep, deep way. Uh, so God, we, we thank you for the work that you're going to do in Terry over this next time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to see you all. Uh, it, when I ever come to any of the anthems, it, it does feel like coming to family. I enjoy coming here. I enjoy the leaders. Um, it's been a, I think it's been a good relationship that's been developing. I hope that as I speak this morning, God will stir you to great things. Um, I am a pastor. That's my primary gift, I think. But I don't, I'm, I, when I teach, I'm not a classic teacher. I'm a more like a pastoral, prophetic kind of pick up where we're going. I've got my notes, but I kind of will kind of pick up where we go. Uh, Jesus said, it's not in my notes. <laughs> Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I have overcome the world. And somehow we have to rest in that place that Jesus has overcome the world and that he's going to bring it to completion. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we look forward to that. And I'll cover that a little bit today. Uh, just two interesting stats for you. This morning, um, like Ryan, I was looking at the news. Uh, and this year so far, 251 mass shootings in the United States. This year. Mass shootings, somewhere where two or three or more people have been shot by a person. It's not when gangsters shoot each other, that's not a mass shooting. So that's a lot, don't you think? Another stat from a number of years ago, just for interest's sake, is that German police fired a total of 93 shots in the year. LA police fired 93 shots at one unarmed man. How's that for a stat? So we live in a crisis. We live in a crisis world, um, and this, you know, wait, this is not political. Anything. We just live in a crisis, and we actually need to be the church. We need to step up. Um, government cannot change the hearts of human beings. Only people can, through Jesus. Uh, I come from a country, South Africa, which had apartheid. If you know what apartheid was, it was a system of separation and racial whatever. Apartheid went, the laws changed, but apartheid was still in the heart of people. Only Jesus can change that. And so this morning as we speak, we're going to speak on love. Allow Jesus in. Allow the Spirit of God to break into your heart and uh, bring some changes. Is that all right? So this text from 1 Corinthians 13, which we'll read in a moment, is primarily, most of you will know it, as Brian said, as a poem 
that we use at weddings. Actually, it wasn't written for that, never intended for that. Doesn't mean you can't use it for that, but I think it's, we, when we only use it for that, we miss out on the real importance of what this text is. Um, and it, it comes in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And you've done 1 Corinthians 12 in the last while, which had to do with gifts and how the gifts should be creating unity where we, we, we can't say, I don't, ha- I don't have need of you, I don't want you, any of those things. And it goes to chapter 14, which is about how do we use our gifts to encourage and build the body up to become what Jesus intended for it. And in the middle is this chapter on love. It connects these two things of our giftedness and what God is doing. And um, so we want to unpack that a little bit. Is, is that okay? So let's read it, um, and we'll go from there. It, I'll end with the last part of the verse of chapter 12. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way that, that as Paul finishes writing on gifts, he says that. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I want you to think of the church, think of your church, Anthem, Thousand Oaks, as an orchestra. Anyone been to the orchestra? Anyone seen the orchestra play? They're sitting there, and they're doing whatever they're in, the strings on one section, and the horns, everyone's... And the conductor comes in, and everyone goes, making sure they are right, and they, they begin to play. Well, imagine if we had the same piece of music on the stand, or may, imagine your group up here, they have the same piece of music on the stand, same words going up, but one's playing in the chord of C, and one's playing in the chord of E, and one's playing in the chord of G. What do you think it will sound like? It'll sound like an abomination like a mess, like chaos, like a raucous noise. But often that's how we are in the church. We come with our gifts. We're in the same body, but we're playing off a different note. The thing that keeps us together is love. That's what Paul is writing here. The thing that ties all this giftedness together, the gifts that you have or the multiple gifts that you have, and just, for, just to put it in, 
you know that a person is made up of their spiritual gifts that are given by God. They're made up of your natural abilities, which are also given by God, and they're made up of your learned skills. All right? Can you have a musical acumen? You're born with a natural talent toward music, correct? But you've got to do some learning, some learned skills to put that into practice. And then there's also natural abilities. And all of that makes up your giftedness set or your cluster of how you interact with people and in the world and in the church. But all of those need to flow through this idea of love. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what you can do. It doesn't matter. You can preach and prophesy and have miracles. It doesn't matter. If there's no love, it actually doesn't amount to much. Now, if I pray for my friend who's got brain cancer and he gets healed by a miracle, it affects him greatly. But if I don't have love that's flowing through me, I am not becoming the kind of person that God wants me to to become. And that's actually the priority of the gospel. Who am I becoming over my lifetime in God through the Spirit? You see, when Moses came before Pharaoh and he threw, you know, his stick down and there was a snake, remember that story? Well, the magicians did that too. There are people who prophesy from the demonic realm. There are people who are praying for sick from the demonic realm. But what makes the church of Jesus different is love. Not this, ooh, I love you, ooh, I feel so good about it. Not that love. The love that comes out in the descriptions in a little while. Um, And we'll unpack that a little bit. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 22, when all else is distilled down to this one thing, you should love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love. That sums up everything. And the tragedy is that in the church, sometimes we see the least love. We see so much infighting, so much jealousy, so much competition, so much comparison, so whatever. We get offended so easily. May I say something as an immigrant American? Would that be okay? I'm American. I've been here 22 years. We get offended so quickly. Oh, my word. It's quite pathetic. If you've gone outside the country, Americans love to tell everybody what to do, but please don't tell them. We've got to stop being offended. I'm talking about in the church. We've got to understand that we're dealing with human beings that are imperfect, just like we're imperfect, and we are growing together by the Spirit into everything that God has for us. Is that all right? And we'll look at some of the, unpack that in a little bit. I didn't say that in the first meeting. This giftedness is not about pomp, uh, pomp and ceremony, about my platform making me look good, you know. That's not what it's about. It's about humble, hidden service toward others because we love them because God first loved us. I mean, Jesus actually says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we, people prophesied in their name, they cast out demons, they said, I didn't know you. No, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. The love you have, not by the great miracles, by the love. And so we have to to keep that in play as we look at these gifts and how they play out and how we interact as the body, the body of Jesus. Um, This is Jesus' body. Do you know that? 
Do you know that you're part of Jesus' body? You might be a finger or a toenail or a kneecap or a... But we make up the body of Jesus and we need one another. And we need each other desperately. And Paul in, is insisting that love is essential for Christian living. It's essential for Christian living. Not gooey-ooey love. The love that he describes in a little while. The love that Jesus uh, gives towards us. And the greater, remember the context is giftedness, the greater your gift, the greater your talent, the greater what God has put into your life, the more is demanded. If you want to be up, up here preaching, and I take this very seriously, this is very scary, because actually it goes and says God will judge the teachers more harshly. The more profile you want, the more humility you need. And um, the greater you want to serve God's people rather than get sure. The question is, and I'm going to ask this throughout, what kind of person are you becoming? Because that's what you'll take with you as you transfer into the next life that comes in the new heaven and the new earth. What kind of person are you becoming? And we'll see that in a little bit while as well within community um, it's not isolated it's in community so prophesy as much as you you can please just do it in love you know have knowledge have faith that can move mountains believe that God can transform our nation whatever but at the essence what you take with you and what God is doing in you is the ability to receive and give love uh, it's, it's just important. So, let's look at these elements. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'll stop with those two because most of us are struggling there already. Or at least I am. <laughs> these are the elements that make up the love that Jesus wants us to live out and Paul is reminding us of. And so, we were joking in the first meeting about this reality. How many of you here are married? All right, how many of you here are not married want to be married? All right. Um, maybe you should talk to the marrieds. <laughs> and Paul said that if you want to be single, it's better. But here's the deal. If you've been married for more than a week, your patience would have been tested. All right? I remember 30, nearly 36 years ago getting impatient with my wife on the second day of honeymoon. Why? Because I'm a fragile human being, she's a fragile human being, and suddenly God is merging two people with different gifts, different personalities, different everythings, and making us one. <laughs> it takes time. So when you come to the church, how many, have, how many are in this gathering today? I don't know. I, I can't, I'm not good with numbers. 100, 150, 5,000? I don't know. <laughs> As you come together and you want to live in community, you're going to rub up each other against each other. You're going to say things and, or not say things, or do things or not do things, or have expectations, or, and we, we're going to be let down, and we'll get impatient. We'll be unkind. And someone will hurt you, and you'll carry that record of wrongs because you're a human being. 
And Paul is coming and insisting that, saying, no, if you want to live in the community of faith, allow the Holy Spirit in to begin to deal with that stuff. You can't just say, I will be patient. Mm, you're already impatient. Because you're impatient that you're not patient. All right. You can't, it doesn't work. It, it, it's a life that's thrown into the spirit of spending time with God, allowing him to fill you and cause fruit to grow. And now the fruit is patience and kindness and generosity and goodness and self-control and love. All those things, they grow. But as they grow, we exercise them toward one another. So I'm asking that in this understanding that you would have grace for the person next to you and grace for your spouse and grace for your kids. Why? Because we're all imperfect. And God wants us to grow into those things. And you can't pick and choose which one of these you want. I'm going to just have patience. No, you've got, you've got to have all of them. That's what God is working into us. And have we became a community that truly reflected that? Just take three of them. Is that okay? Imagine we were a community that never got impatient with one another, was always kind to one another, and never kept a record of wrongs. What sort of community do you think we'd have? It would be astounding. Now, I don't believe that you can live a life like that. I believe you can grow into a life like that. Otherwise, Jesus lied. And the Spirit is not real. But I think we can. And it might take time. But it, and God transforms us over a lifetime. But I believe we can grow into that. And dare to believe. This is how they will know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another, this type of love. I would, won't, you won't be able to keep people out if that's truly what's in play. Um, and so when we look at these different elements, and I'm not going to unpack every element just for time, when you look at them, there are three things you should ask about each of these elements that would take patience, for example. Do you see that working in the life of Jesus? Because ultimately, we, we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Is that right, right? And one day, we will look at him and we will be like him. So, do you see patience in the life of Jesus? Do you? All right. Is there a scripture that says Jesus was patient with Peter? Does it say that? Anyway. Does it? I don't know. But you read the story and he's patient with Peter and with all of them. That's why you've got to read the Bible not as principle but as narrative. So you get the story. Because then you can draw the principle. When you see the life of Jesus, oh, Jesus was patient. Was Jesus kind? Yeah. Just think of the woman caught in adultery. Have you noticed Jesus was never in a hurry? God brings his son, starts frothing in the mouth, falls on the floor. Bah! Jesus talks to the dad. Well, what's happening here? Let's have a chat. What's happening? Woman caught in adultery. Ah, we're going to throw stones. Ah, oh, let me kneel down, draw in the sand a little bit. Let me think about this. A man at peace, a man knowing who he is in God, knowing how to love, but not in a rush. Just, it's okay. 
Let's become those kind of people. Don't jump to conclusions. We're talking about the community of faith. When someone says something to you that hurts you, don't, don't jump to a conclusion and think, I wonder why they said that. I wonder if they're having a bad day. Or whatever. Because love is flowing. So one, you ask, is, is this evidenced in Jesus' life? Two, is it evidenced in your life or maybe not? And thirdly, if it was, what would it look like in practice? So what would patience look like in your life in practice? Can you think about that for a sec? What would patient, if love is patient, what does that look like for you in practice as it means to us as a community? Because otherwise it's just ethereal truth out here somewhere. Paul is very practical. So, can you become patient in isolation? Me and Jesus Christianity. How do you know you're patient? It's only when you interact with another person. Isn't that right? You can sit in your room all you like, or your cave, or your farm on a hill, and say, I'm a patient person. And you step outside the gate, and oh my word, failed. So we need each other. We need the interaction. That's how we will know we are growing, by being with other people that cause us to become impatient, and then you suddenly realize, oh, I'm not as impatient as I was a year ago. God is doing something in my life. And that's what we want. We want to become the kind of person that patience flows out of us. You can't say, today I will be patient. You can't do that. You're going to say, Jesus, change me. Let me become like you. I kind of think that if we began to do that, Anthem would never be the same. Never be the same. Ever. Because we would begin to reflect Jesus. We would begin to live like Jesus. And Jesus had to do it with the Spirit. He wasn't like some super guy walking six inches above the ground. He lived as a human being. Needed to be empowered by the Spirit. Just like us. When Jesus says, the things I do, you will do an even greater, what is, he, what is he talking about? Is that okay? Are you hearing this? I think it's important. Now, sometimes you meet a person, or you've met a person, who actually, those sort of qualities just flow out of them. They're, they're just peaceful, compassionate, kind, loving, caring people. And when you're with them, you feel like, man... This is like being on vacation. When you find a person like that, get with them and ask them to help you and pray with you and talk things through with you and let them become some sort of a mentor. For me, it's mine person, it's, a, it's through the writings and YouTube stuff of someone who has died, but it's shaped me in some of this stuff. Help me greatly. Because we all need to learn and we all need to grow, but if you find those people, man, hang on. Say, I want to become like that person. These things are amazing. It says this, there are four things that always happens with this kind of love. Always. 
So think about it in the light of community. Always protects. It's your desire to protect your brother and sister in community to, or to expose them so you look good. Love always trusts. I remember being here two years and in church and a lady came up to me and she said, you trust too easily. I said, thank you for telling me that. I so appreciate it. That's all I've been wanting to do. <laughs> but I have the capacity to be hurt, to be hurt in that. But I, that's okay. I'd rather trust. I'd rather, I don't want to live in mistrust with everyone. I wonder what they mean. No, let's learn to trust. Always trust. This love uh, says, yeah, always hopes. It's always got a, a longing for this, that this is coming and God helps me in the future. This love always perseveres. Isn't that beautiful? This is not the love of, oh, I love you, slap on the back. Anyway, you could, you know, I need to be driven to the hospital. Oh, no, I'm really too busy, sorry. This is radical, radical stuff. And, uh, all right. Oh, can I move on? Anyone confused? What's the subject we're talking about? Okay. Love never fails. Genuine love never fails. Party love, tricky love, that fails all the time. Real love never fails. Now there's a verse that says, speak to each other, speak the truth in love. You ever read that verse? If you have to say to someone, I want to tell you something, but just so you know, I love you, you, shut up. <laughs> they need to know you love them. You don't have to say, you know, I love you, but now I'm going to tell you this. Pray that God speaks to them through someone else. Just really love. So when I come up and I say, I go to Matt, and I said something a while back, and I brought some truth to him. I don't have to say, Matt, I really love you. You know I love you, hey. Yeah, I love you. Then, no, he knows I love him. I just want to tell you something. It's a good little test. So, let's go. Love never fails, uh, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, and a whole bunch of stuff ceasing and going away. And when I was a child, and then a mirror, and then seeing part, etc. and then these three, I'm going to come back to that. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. What we need to see, and I think this is the part that I really need you to grasp, is that Paul always sees life in the framework of God's future for us. We live in the present. You've only got today. Do you believe that? Do you know that yesterday's gone? What can you do about yesterday? It's not quite true. You can learn from it. You can say sorry to someone if you hurt them. You can apologize to the Lord and ask his forgiveness for something you might have done. But you can't go change something. I was with uh, uh, someone this week, last week actually, and they, they spoke about two types of time. You've got your chronos time, your chronology. Something happened in your, you can't change that. But then there's another word, I think it's kairos time which is how it affects you in the way that you live, you can change that. So I'll say this to you, and it's because it's not a secret, I'm a victim of sexual abuse. I cannot change that in my chronos. It happened. 
but I don't have to live under the weight of that. It doesn't have to affect my future. Does it make sense? And so yesterday happened. There's nothing you can do about it. You can learn from it. You can be healed and grow. But you've only got today to live. But if you try to live today without a glimpse or a hope of the future, it's, it's just hard work and a slog and meaningless. The thing that gives me hope, the ability to live today, is that I know there is a day coming when Jesus will return or he'll take me home and everything will be wrapped up and there'll be no more tears and sorrow and sickness and all those things, it'll all be done. That's what gives me hope to live today. And what Paul is writing in here is this stuff. We have to get that framework. Um, and that we, we get that because we see Jesus coming and breaking into the present with his incarnation. And his resurrection is the, this like huge thing that happens to show us, oh, there is life after death. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to guarantee that we get there. So to live life in community, sharing life, sharing gifts, sharing this whatever we do, and we need it with this power of the resurrection life, which you'll get to in chapter 15 in a few weeks, the, the infilling of God's Spirit that's come to help us, and a hope that what Jesus said is true. We've got to get that framework of eternity in our hearts because in that future Paul, Peter, Jesus they see a, a future that's joyous and peaceful and full of life and no infighting and bickering and jealousy there's none of that we've got we to get glimpses of that and we see that in the text that's why we need to read the Bible and as an Arab we, we get these glimpses of glory as someone once said you get these images oh that's what it's gonna look down look like ah, I'm looking forward to that I can go through this now so when that scripture we started with, in this world you will have trouble but fear not I've overcome the world I need to hurry sorry um, so we've got faith hope and love all right the greatest of these is love Faith. What is faith? It's looking at Jesus and trusting him, just simply. Trusting that what Jesus said and did is true. Just trusting him. I need, I need faith to live. I need to trust that Jesus has got my back. I need to trust that he's prepared a place for me in the future. I need to trust. What's hope? Have you ever used the word hope? Hope, ma. Hey, I get this for Christmas. Or hope. Or we, we just throw these words around. What do they mean? Hope is just an expectation. It's a longing. A hope. But it's more than just like pie in the sky hope. It's a hope that is certain because of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he has done. I hope. I've got a hope. And the thing that's going to get me take this hope into the future is faith, that I trust him that he'll make it happen. And the river that I plunge myself in to exercise that faith as I hope is the river of love. 
Right. But here's the deal. When the transition happens, whether you die and go to be with Jesus, or Jesus is going to come back and take us, however that looks like, we won't need faith and hope anymore. You won't need faith and hope. It's finished. That's why the greatest is love. Because love is this thing that was before time. The reason we have time and creation is because there was love. Creation comes out of love. And this river of love has flown through history, flows through our lives, our community, keeps going. We're in that love, and it'll go into the future and into eternity forever. But when you face to face with Jesus one day, whatever that looks like, you won't need hope. Why? Because the reality will be there. I hope that my wife gives me a new drill for Christmas. I don't want a drill, but anyway. <laughs> and on Christmas Day, I open the gift, and guess what? There's a drill. Do I say, oh, I hope you give me a drill? Is that what I say? No, I have the drill. Faith is, I hope she does it. I know she will. She hears. She's good at hearing. And, I, and I'm going to believe and trust her that she's going to do it. That's my faith. But when it's here, I don't need that anymore. All I've got to do is love her and say, thank you for loving me and let me love you back. Stupid illustration, but I hope you get the point. That's why the greatest is love. It binds everything together. So love is the ethic of the kingdom of God. If you want to understand God, the kingdom, anything, it's, it's love. That's why this chapter is so important. Um, it's a test of who we're becoming, how do we love, how, do we pa- how patient or how kind we are, etc., etc. It's this growth. So it's this river that flows. Is that right? Does that make sense? Or are you thinking, oh, that's too ethereal for me? I hope it's not. It means you have to change your way of thinking because most of us think in a more Greek way, which is very linear, like now, whereas Jewish thinking was much more flowing of history. We have to kind of get into that. Um, that Jesus is going to wrap things up. There's a new heaven and a new earth. What we do here matters in the future. It really, really matters. Um, and then he caught, kind of closes this little chapter with three things. Three images to help us. The first one is the image of growing from childhood to maturity. When I was young, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, acted like a child, etc. But then I grew up into adulthood. What's he saying there? If you take it through those elements, go look at a child and look at those elements. Kids are impatient. Kids are unkind. Kids keep record of wrongs. Kids are greedy. Kids are jealous. Kids compete. Kids, isn't that right? Or maybe only my kids. <laughs> they were like that. All right. What he says, when you, when you first come to faith and Jesus comes, that's what's operating in you. But if you allow Jesus to work in you and you make yourself available to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, you will be changed. And you will no longer be like an infant. You will slowly grow and become an adult. Where you won't stamp your feet when you don't get what you, spo- you think you should get. And you won't pout, and you won't get offended, etc., etc., etc. Because that's not the way of adulthood. That's the way of children. So that's a good test. Are you growing into adulthood, or are you still an infant? And that language is used often in the scriptures. The second one is this idea of a mirror. What does a mirror do? 
Why do you use a mirror? To see a reflection. When you see that reflection, what do you see? Sorry? An image. What image? Of yourself. But what about that image is different? Have you ever looked in the mirror when you're shaving, brushing your teeth, doing your hair, blow, whatever you do, have you noticed that your right eye looks like your left eye? Because you see yourself in reverse. You notice that? So what he's, the point he's making here is in this world, we don't see everything clearly. We don't see it fully aligned. We don't see it as it should be. But there's a day coming when we sh- everything will be plain. It'll be right side up. Left will be left and right will be right, not the other way around. That's the point he's making here. And why did he use a mirror? Because mirrors, Corinth is one of the places where they manufactured mirrors in the, in the ancient world. I've got nine minutes. You'll see face to face. Not through a mirror. Not through a glass darkly. Be done with. What's he saying? He's saying, this is what it is here, but as you grow, as you long to go into that eternal, that's what will happen. The third thing he uses is this idea of the partial and the complete. In God's new creation, heaven and earth, things are complete. You will be complete. You will love fully. You, as Jesus fully knows you now, you will know fully. There'll be no veils, no hidden things. Every part of wickedness in you that creates you not to see properly will be done for. What Paul is saying, the thing that's going to get you there is that you plunge into the river of the transforming love of God. It's not going to be because you grit your teeth. Doesn't mean there's no work involved. But often the work is learning to rest. The work is slowing down and stopping. Is that all right? May I I share a little story with you? So two years ago, I watched an interview with my hero, Dallas Willard. You might hate him, you might love him. and I watched an interview, uh, some young people interviewed, and they asked him, what, what is your daily devotions? And he said, well, I'm a busy guy, but this is what I do. Every morning before I get out of bed, I process the Lord's Prayer. I say it, and then I process it. I think it through. What does that mean for me today? Our Father. Oh, Father. And it's our Father. It means I'm in community. Like, process it. And he said, when I finish that, I do Psalm 23. And if I'm still in bed, I might do it again. So I thought, well, if it's good enough for Dallas, good enough for me. So I began to do that. I've been doing it for two years now. And my life is revolutionized. Now, am I perfect? No, we near. Ask my wife. But my, I know my life has changed. And when my wife says to me, you are changing, I'm thinking, praise God. I tried for 30-something years by myself, and it didn't work, and then I just submitted myself to the Spirit in a whole new way, and God begins to do something. Because I did the work of learning to rest in the fact that Jesus is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's the first thing that comes after that? Have you noticed that? It doesn't put you to work. It makes you lie down. 
the work of resting in God, being with God so that you can then do for God. That's where the transformation happens. The doing is where it's tested. So if you're going to deal with someone in the community that you find difficult, that hurts you, and you find it, whatever, rest in God first and say, I'm going to meet with this person. Now go meet with them. It just might be different. Um, Okay, I want to say one more thing before we close. There's this verse. Is everyone okay? Wonderful. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Now, I don't know where you all come from, but that text, when completeness comes, does not mean the Bible. So if you come out of a dispensationalist background, that's one of the key verses to say, because the Bible is here, we now complete, we don't need the gifts. That's not what this text says. It's totally out of context in every single way. This text is talking about the flow of God's life into the eternal kingdom. When the completeness comes, all that other stuff will go away. We are not there yet. We still need the gifts. Anyone need to be encouraged and comforted and built up? Anybody here need that? It tells us that's the role of prophecy. So please don't tell me prophecy doesn't exist anymore. Too late. I'm the recipient and the giver for the prophetic. Oh, miracles are not for today. I don't know what to say. I've seen a miracle. If you don't want to believe in the gifts, do a mission trip to India. You'll come back totally changed. Sorry, there was just a little ooh in there. So, I want to leave you with this. Ask yourself this question. What kind of person am I becoming in the kingdom of God? It's the most important question you can ask of yourself. What kind of person am I becoming? Because when you become the kind of person, or you are in the flow of becoming the kind of person that God wants you to become, and you start evidencing that through the way that you interact with people through a loving and kindness, and people can see the change, they will be able to trust you to speak up here, even if you speak rubbish. You know why? Because they, you're trustworthy. You've, you, 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 you're demonstrating love. People will give responsibility, they will say, will you speak into my life? Would you, whatever. Because they, there's a sense of you love them. And when they say something that, you, that really shocks you, you don't say, oh, I better keep a record of that. No, we don't live like that. We are becoming somebody important in Christ and we align him to shape us. These gifts of prophecy and tongues and wisdom and knowledge and miracles and healings, and, they are temporary because when you get into the new heaven and the new earth, you don't need them. But we need them now. So let's root them in love so that when we make the transition and those stay behind, you know, it's like wearing clothes, and as you transition, the clothes of prophecy will just come off. You will need it. But the essence of what's inside of you is this love that's going to go through with you. The kind of person you are becoming shapes your gifts, shapes your talents, shapes your interactions, shapes your marriage, shapes your parenting, shapes your leading, shapes the way you lead your company, whatever you're doing, who you are. So can we, there's a, 
there was a slide, a last, oh, there you are. What kind of person are you becoming? Can we pray? Father, <clears throat> thank you that you didn't say these things to us and then leave us with no example of which to follow. You actually gave us Jesus to look at. And we're so grateful for those men who wrote down the stories, the life of Jesus, so that we can see what Jesus was like. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. And the Holy Spirit's come to help us to become like that. Isn't that glorious? We bless your name. We bless your name.